Hey everyone, welcome to the Flexing Physio podcast. This podcast is aimed for physios, whether you are a student or already qualified and working in the big bad world. On this podcast, we will be giving real-world advice about everything physiotherapy. We will be having a bunch of special guests. And most of all, we will be having lots of fun banter. My name is Dan Chang, and I'm a physio working in a private practice here in Tamworth, and I will be your host. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Flexing Physio. This is the part two. So if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go and listen to it, your, your donut. So uh, we are joined, well, I am joined today via Zoom, my first ever podcast via Zoom. Uh, we've got Kelly Kortik and Blake Withers. Welcome to the show again, guys. Thank you. Hey, mate. Thanks for having us. No worries. My absolute pleasure. Um, so you guys, are, as I said in my first episode, uh, sorry, my part one, Kelly, you're my, one of my favorite physios in New South Wales. And Blake, you got to work. No, not be your favorite podiatrist. Surely you don't even know that many podiatrists. There's not that many of us. No, We're a dying breed. <laughs> you guys are honestly. Yeah, surely. Yeah. Do you know any other pods that no? do? Po- oh, pods. As yeah. I thought you meant podcast. No. I was like, yeah, I know a few. <laughs> yeah, I know one other pod- uh, podiatrist. Yeah, sweet. And and so, he yeah. takes number one. Yeah, <laughs> I only know two, and you're second. Yeah, that's it. You're last. <laughs> So in the first episode, uh, sorry, I keep saying first episode, in the, in the part one where we talk about uh, some typical personality traits of keen runners, and we also talked about um, subjective must-ask questions if you have a runner coming. In this part two, we're going to have a yarn about the top three most common running injuries. Mm. Mm-hmm. So guys, take it away. Great, Kelly, you go first because you'll probably be wrong. Nah, I'm right, but you're wrong. I'm looking at what you're writing down. (laughs) So the first one's right. So most common running related injury is MTSS or shin splints. Mm -hmm. I, before I go any further, I want to say that just even though these are the most common running related injuries, they are not the, like the, that's just because you've got pain in that location or you've got a patient with pain in that location, it doesn't mean that that's what's wrong. And I'll give you an example in a second. Um, the other two more common running related injuries would be an Achilles tendinopathy and patellofemoral pain. Now, what I was saying before, so my colleague actually had a patient uh, a couple of weeks ago and he presented with bilateral pain that seemed quite Achilles, uh, insertional Achilles tendinopathy, but it was a little bit weird and it just didn't quite make heaps of sense. Um, so just out of safety, we, we decided to send him for an MRI and he actually had a bilateral calcaneal stress fracture wow. developing or stress yeah. reaction, not stress fracture. So even though they are the three most common injuries, it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be thinking about what else could be happening in those areas because you could miss something that's detrimental, which would have been the case if someone wasn't thinking a calcaneal stress, it could yeah. be the, the case with that particular patient. So And the, the management really of those two would be very different. Totally different. Yeah, completely absolute opposite. So yeah. 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 That's anything yeah. though. That's any musculoskeletal, anything sports medicine, musculoskeletal related, shoulder, back, you know, you've got to have uh, one of the sports docs I work with, Neil Halford always says, you know, common things are common, but yeah. rare things still occur. So That's right. yes, it's probably more likely to be these things, but you know, with anything, always have those other weird, odd diagnoses um, in yeah. the back of your mind. You've got to, and I mean, 
if you treat it as something, and I, I always thank the sports docs for this, but they always say, you know, they think the, um, I'm trying to think of the sentence, the, if you're, or just say good clinician, they think the best and the really well experienced clinicians how they know they're a good clinician is because if things aren't improving in three to four sessions, they'll send them one for another opinion. Because if it's not responding how it should, these things should respond. But if they're not, it's likely something else. So yeah. Yeah, that's a big one, eh? Because um I think there was your one of your episodes with Dr. Ahmed Malik. Yes. Who's yeah. my uh, good friend now. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's a legend. He um is. did you guys talk about in that episode about hanging on to patients and when to Yes. Refer yeah. onwards. Yeah. And we like, cause obviously working with the doctors and physicians and things like that, they just tell us all the time. And like, we're having conversations with them because it's hard for them. And they'll say the perfect example of someone will come and see them in six months and they'll be like, you know, what have you done? How have things gone? And they'll, they'll just be thinking to themselves, why haven't I seen you four months earlier? And I'll use a really extreme case, but hopefully it hits home. But for most people, I was saying they had someone with, I think it was like distal tibia pain and it had been treated against something like an Achilles or some kind of diagnosis for nine months mm. with no improvement. Mm. Finally ended up seeing one of the sports docs and it was a cancer that had metastasized and they just hadn't been picked up, just presenting um, like a musculoskeletal condition. Like yeah. these things do happen yeah. and you don't want to be the one to miss that. And like, don't think that they're stupid or dumb. Like they know if you're holding on to them, you know, until their private health runs out or until they don't want to come back anymore, just send them on early. Yeah. Yeah. What about those, what about those really, um, just for example, like a, like a frozen shoulder presentation where it just takes its time sometimes and Mm. they can often be, uh, have really, really slow, if no progress at all in like, you know, six, Mm. eight weeks. What about situations like that? If they're not responding, would you still, and you've already got, you're, you're pretty sure that it's frozen shoulder, would you still refer? Um, wait, I'm going to try oh, and relate. Answer, you think? <laughs> I was going to think, I was going to relate this back to a, a running related injury. I think you should, because one, so, how, how can you confirm diagnostically that you know it is a frozen shoulder? I know you can be really, really confident, but there's still the chance that you might be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> pardon me, laying out the pros and the cons, yes, it might be a con that they have to go and see someone and spend a little bit more money. But the pro is you literally have another sports physician, sports doctor, specialist on the team that's mm. going to help contribute to the management of this patient. And if you mm. word it like that, they're like, oh, great. I'm going to go and see an expert mm. on the shoulder. That's great. And the, all they're going to do is reiterate what you've already been doing. Yep. Or they'll, they'll just say, yeah, everything you're doing is great. Go back and see Dan and, and keep doing what you're doing. I just yep. don't see that the harm in that. Yeah, well, absolutely. What I was sort of thinking about when you were asking that question was, mm. so for example, a tendinopathy is is inherently going to be slow to progress, and mm. something that that I often find with patients, if I'm you know confident with that diagnosis, is despite the fact that 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 their pain might be the same or not necessarily changing too much, what they're able to do or get through or lift or load is is significantly more. So. Mm. For an example, like a tendinopathy, whether it be a a glute or an Achilles or whatever, if they're making progress outside of what their pain is sort of demonstrating, that's still progress and that's still uh, improvement and gives me confidence that we're still on the right track with treatment. So I would say that that 
that wouldn't be one where I feel like I'm holding on to it without it progressing. I'm, st- mm-hmm. I'm, I'm aware that there is pain still present, but they are still progressing through their function or their running or their speed or their strength or whatever. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. And I, I really like the way that you worded that. Um, going back to the, the top three most common running injuries, um, mm-hmm. Kelly, you mentioned the first one, MTSS. For mm. those new grads or even students out there who aren't um, tech, uh, not tech savvy, <laughs> language savvy, um, <laughs> that's metatarsal <laughs> stress. Medial tibial stress, stress syndrome Medial. or shin splints or exercise induced shin pain, whatever floats your boat. So with, with shin splints, which is what it's most commonly known as, essentially it's a, it's a continuum of a, a bone stress injury. So mm. the, the earliest stage of it tends to be that really vague pain that you sort of get up or that medial border of your, of your tibia. And that's one where in your history, you'd be asking, you know, how does it behave or what's the pattern of pain throughout the run where it Mm. tends to get worse throughout the run. Mm. Now, if you're suspecting, I I would blanket almost say I MRI, any sort of medial tibial pain, because you just (coughs) cannot be confident that it's a, that it's, you know, shin splints or that early stage, or if it is leading into a, a stress reaction where the bone is starting to get some edema and swelling Mm, or a full-on stress fracture, which is typically that more localized pain on that medial border of the tibia. I just don't think that we can be confident enough to know. Um, So I think an MRI is is well and truly worthwhile to just for, for diagnostic purposes. What are you looking for on an MRI if you, if you refer Pain. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for bad things. You're looking, yeah. you're looking fluid for, for fluid. So it will it will comment on it usually on the MRI. Like it'll say uh, typical for presentation of medial tibial stress syndrome, or it will say there's some sort of bony edema, mm. or it will say that there is a a, a stress fracture in the yep. tibia. So that will be commented on. Um and if if you're getting anything that is involving bone, whether it be bony, uh, like a stress reaction or a stress fracture, then that's mm. an immediate referral to the sports doctor for what they want to do management-wise. I don't think that's something that we should be making a call on. Sure, mm. sure. I tend to send them before, so then the doctor sends them for the MRI. But that's just right. probably because of where I work. Yeah, because you work, you're lucky you work with, with, work with them. sports yeah. doctors. And I like to get them. If you're a new grad and things listening to this, which I, I assume that you are, you know, you're you're new in the profession. Generally, you're going to be new in the area. You know, you mm. want to build relationships with these doctors. They see now working with them, they see all so many different types of patients. They're seeing your ideal patient. So they're like, oh, great. Dan sent me three this week, you know, two are fine. I never need to do anything more, but send me back to him. But one, we actually need to continue investigation. They're only going to think you're a weapon clinician and they're just going to, you're going to start to develop that relationship, which is hard as a new grad approaching surgeons, sports doctors. It's scary. So it's very intimidating. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. Um, And then the second most common being the Achilles tendinopathy as well. Um, Did you guys have any, I don't know, clinical gems that you may have on the top of your head about um, Achilles tendinopathy? Yeah, I would say there's a great video with Ebony Rio on YouTube Mm -hmm. called the diagnosis from, 
is it learn.physio it's it's on youtube and it's like the diagnostic of achilles tendinopathy and they basically just take a picture of an achilles from the back and they just show you all the palpation and the different areas so there's like you know there's mid portion there's mm -hmm. insertional there's peritendon there's retrocalcal sorry retrocalcaneal bursitis yep. there's a perineal tendon there's a sural nerve and you can see where to palpate and typically where people get pain yep. which is really really good but my only caveat to I love treating Achilles tendinopathy mm -hmm. just because it's so much about getting their loading. I only had two things. One is definitely confirm that it is, and that's not a peritendon. And I'll let Kelly explain the difference. Fracture. Yeah, I'll let Kelly explain the differences between them. Yeah. The peritendon is the complete opposite to an Achilles, and typically you do have to tell them to, to stop running for a bit of time. Right. The next one is explaining to them the importance of you know i know i always use put my hand on the left side my other hand up on the right side and basically make a continuum and say we're starting here with loading or we want to end up over on this side which is more plyometrics and explosive kind of power so yeah. we want to start with you know isometrics or isotonics and then moving through heavy resistance all the way to that hopping and jumping and it's really important that we get there because that's what tendons are designed to do produce Absolutely. and absorb force and Absolutely. i'll explain it to them i was like that's that's what it needs to do and yeah. setting their expectation early like as as i touched on before they're inherently slow so let them know that it is going to take some time but something that i really harp on about with managing tendons is that yes it's slow but it's not slow in the sense that you're doing nothing mm -hmm. we are we are more often than not able to to keep you running and we will keep you very busy and progressing throughout that three to six months or 12 mm. months if it's been a real chronic issue um it's not 12 months of doing absolutely nothing it's 12 months of still getting you know progressing you further and further along the way so yeah. it feels slow but it's it's productive i guess in that you're still doing things yeah, that's right pain's normal as well compared to a bone stress injury so i know the sports docs are very much along the lines of you know pain should be nearly almost absent or really minimal with your return to running but with an achilles mm. it's likely you'll probably have a little nagging ache or a one to two out of ten for mm. a fair bit of time but that's normal and again if yeah. it's not asking those questions how does your pain does it change during the run no yeah. great does it change the next day or you wake up more sore no i'm not great so you can then think that you're not doing enough to kind of flare it up so you can continue to do that and, and yeah. build your base. i like um you know zach zach taylor um, over at uh, next gen, yeah, yeah, next gen. Well. I watched your guys' video on talking about load and, and capacity. capacity. I love yeah. it so much. Like I use that graph to talk to my patients pretty much every day, just to give them an idea of mm. that concept. So easy, mm. yeah. And you can say like, and all these, I I think is a and even kind of why we wanted to start our podcast was mm. you just pick up these little clinic clinical gems or more so just analogies. Like yeah. I've got. And when I'm talking to a patient, you know, I might say the same analogy sometimes like 50 times a day. And those yeah. little loaded capacity relationship mind is probably the one I pull out the most. Yeah. 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 And, and so relevant for tendons, but relevant to, to almost anything, I think is, you know, something that I often say is, you know, if, if this is what your tendon can tolerate here um, and you're going for a 15 kilometer run, which is just above what your tendon can tolerate, that's why mm. it's reacting. So 
resting it and doing nothing is only going to drop your capacity down further. So that's not really going to help this in any way. What we need yeah. to do is we need to find what your tendon can tolerate to, to set it off a little bit, but mm -hmm. to the point where it recovers reasonably well so yeah. that we can gradually start to nudge your, your tolerance levels back up again and, and get you back to your, your goals, whatever they may be. Mm. And it's such a good buy-in for patients to be like, okay, this is, I need to do something to improve mm. my capacity. And if I rest, my capacity is not going to change. So yeah. I need to do some sort of strength training. Mm -hmm. to, to How aid would that. you, how would you, Kelly? Have you heard of the peritendon, Dan? Diagnosis? No. no. Kelly, you want to explain peritendon to, yeah. to the listeners and then I'll fix it up when you get it wrong. And to me as well. <laughs> so so uh, with an, an Achilles tendinopathy, the analogy that I often use is the treating the, the donut, not the hole, right? So, mm. so that goes back to that spiel that I just had then about building up your strength and your capacity of that mm. tendon and progressing it to whatever. Whereas with a with a peritendon, it's a little bit, well, it's very, very different. It's the complete opposite management. So um, clinically, what you're going to see is it's going to be a bit of a, a vaguer distribution of pain. So rather than that localized pain with loading, you might be getting pain all the way up the, the whole Achilles tendon, um, almost going up towards that musculotendinous junction of your calf. Now that that pain it tends to get worse with activity. It doesn't have that same warm up phenomenon that you typically expect with an Achilles tendinopathy. So, mm -hmm. so that's something that you're sort of aware of. Um, and the other thing, the the other key thing that that I would be um, assessing and, and noting is if you can often see a bit of swelling around that Achilles tendon. Yeah. Now, sometimes that can be the case if they've got a, a really irritated retrocalcaneal bursa as well. But if you're getting that, that vague swelling, like, as I said, all, almost all the way up to that musculotendinous junction, then mm. you, and, and pain that's palpable, that yeah, whole distribution as well, squeeze it down the side, then um, you, you'd probably be suspicious of a, a peritendon now the if if you're unsure and you did start loading at it as if it was an achilles tendinopathy it is mm. not going to respond it's not going to get better it, it's probably just going to get worse mm. so you you then sort of reassess your um, diagnosis and be questioning maybe it's if the peritendon's involved um the other thing that you could be asking about in their clinical history is, is it might even be painful on, on non-impact activities. So mm. because what it is, it's the, it's the sheath surrounding the tendon that gets inflamed. So mm. even so, so like shearing movements, like cycling or, or um, like on the rower or something like that, because mm. you're getting that, that shearing and gliding of that sheath around the Achilles tendon, then that mm. that's more <clears throat> so what irritates it rather than, um, the the explosive stuff with running in a tendon. Yeah. So they're, they're the well. key things that you'd sort of be looking at or thinking about as a, a differential diagnosis. Yeah, I will add to that, that uh, explaining it to patients why they need to rest and, and, and take it easy. And I usually say for a couple of weeks is if the tendon's irritated, you know, we know it's the tendon itself and we know that tendons respond well to load. But if it's the peritendon, we, we think of like electrical wire with mm -hmm. conduit around it and you've mm -hmm. got fluid around that electrical wire that lets it glide and move within that. Mm -hmm. If that's inflamed and angry, you can't strengthen that fluid or increase that capacity. You've just got to let it settle down. And it really yeah. just needs a, a bit of a cuddle. Yeah, some TLC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yes. Yeah. I did want to add on Achilles because I know Kelly can't talk much to this. This is where I've got it over her 100%. This is your domain, mate. This is it. This is it. Foot and ankle, baby. This is where it's at. <laughs> so foot and ankle stuff, especially Achilles, and especially with MTSS, you can really, really have a good effect with footwear and offloading and playing around with forces and physics. So, yes, I'm a podiatrist. No, I don't give out millions of custom orthotics, but I do use them when they're indicated. Now, generally, Achilles is a sagittal plane issue, not a frontal Mm -hmm. plane, which is usually where orthotics have had their use. So I think I've only ever given out one pair of orthotics for um, for an Achilles, but I always, always, always give out heel lifts for an Achilles. Mm -hmm. And I'll just Mm -hmm. tell them to trial them. If you don't like them, great, take them out. They cost like- easy. Yeah, they cost like $10. Um, So heel lifts always. And then from a footwear standpoint, I'll always get them in a rockered shoe. And if they're really having issues, I'll get them in a carbon plated shoe. So Mm. I've got the research to show that the carbon plate really reduces some of that ground reaction force in the calf and in the first Mm. MPJ joint. So it just makes it easier for the foot. And if you get them in a heel lift and a carbon plated shoe, they'll be able to start running quicker and return to running easier. And you just Mm. get them wearing them all the time. I just say, I only want you not wearing shoes when you're in the shower and in bed. You're basically mm. just like going into mm. it and I disagree with that, but yeah, because Kelly doesn't know anything about it. That's why she disagrees. <laughs> I had one of her. I I have one of your patients, and you didn't have heels in their shoes. I'm not gonna say who it is. You didn't. I was like, Cause remember I saw that person, and I was like, where did you ha- did Kelly give you any heel lifts? And this person was like, no. And I was like, yeah, I do. All right, guys. This, this is to this be is um. After. Yeah. This is my this is my podcast. So uh, yeah. um, sorry, getting into our marital disputes. I thought this was like right. council therapy, couples therapy. And also, you might notice that I'm getting progressively darker and darker. <laughs> <laughs> I look like a ghost now. You do. It's so dark. It's Lucky it's a podcast, not a um, or not an audio visual spectacle. Yeah. YouTube set. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, let's end that episode there and then pick up on the third episode potentially um, yeah. and just touch on our last question of today, which is, I can't even read it because it's so cool. dark right now. Mistakes, yes. mistakes yeah. that young clinicians make. All right. All right. Cool. Stay tuned. We'll catch you in the next episode. Sounds good. Thanks guys.